Our scripture this morning, we have two of them. The first one comes from Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Our second comes from Ezekiel 36, verses 24 to 27. It's the Lord speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is the word of God to us, the people of God. Thanks, Megan, and good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Bethany as we continue a series looking at the Beatitudes in uh, what Jesus is commonly referred to as preaching the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. This morning, we're considering together uh, what does it mean to be pure in heart? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's a board this morning because this is a little bit heavy on the teaching side of things so that we understand uh, how important the heart is in who we are. And so I'll ask that you'll just join me for a moment and pray, and we'll ask God to speak this morning, specifically this morning, not only to our minds, but to our hearts. So let's take a moment, we'll pray together. Father, it's a privilege to gather within these walls to listen for your voice. Grateful, Father, that uh, there is a spirit speaking in this world. We're mindful that we live in a world that longs for peace, but there is no peace. Uh, a world that longs for an end to poverty, but poverty remains. Longs for hope, and yet so often we find cynicism instead. Would you make us people not only, Father, that are able to interpret these realities, this dissonance between longing and, and what is actually present, but would you equip us to be people of hope in the midst of it? And we'll thank you for that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so as we continue looking at this uh, series, the, the title of the series, Can You See It?, is talking about ethics. And there's a, there's a debate in the ethics of the kingdom about uh, where we begin when we talk about uh, having the ethics in our lives that reflect God's heart. Where do we begin? And some people say that you begin with behavior because when you're uh, working with little children, often you we tend to think you begin with behavior. You, you teach your children to do things, right? And if you're in a classroom, you say to your students, there's your assignment, do it, and you'll be changed. And so the transformation comes in this paradigm over here from doing, right? Calling people to a new ethic. And within Christianity, there are volumes written about the ethics of what it means to follow Christ, the ethics of the kingdom of God. You read about peacemaking. You read about sexual ethics. You read about financial ethics, about marriage, about character, about treatment of foreigners, about uh, uh, all, the, all the, the, the challenges of what it means to be the people of God. How are the people of God to behave? And there's an overwhelming temptation to like, have this conversation and say, if we get this right, then we got everything right. And then there's a group over here that says, don't even worry about that. Because Jesus was pretty clear, wasn't he, when he spoke to Nicodemus and he said, you must change your behavior? No. What did he say? You must be born again. So it starts on the inside, and that's the most important thing, and focus on the inside. And so there's a debate, pietism, focusing on the inside, focusing on the heart, focusing on, on transformation 
of, of the interior of who you are in a way. And, and then ethics focusing on the outside, right? And what does it mean then to live as citizens of the kingdom of God? Do we need a new heart or do we need a new ethic? Of course, the answer is yes. We, we need both. And anytime we try to address one without the other, it becomes problematic. Let's just talk about apple trees for a minute since we live in Washington, right? And, and apples are kind of our fruit, especially if you drive east a little ways. The new ethic is like... Uh, try to teach people how to make apples, right? And it would be like holding classes on apple making. And, and if we have, the thinking is if we have the right chemicals and the right process, we would make some apples. Let's make some apples. We all, who, who doesn't like apples, right? So let's make some apples and we're gonna try and, 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 and fabricate in a lab apple making. And then there's a group over here that says, oh, no, 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 no. Look, you can't ever make an apple the problem is, Jesus is calling you to make apples, and you're a pear tree. <laughs> and so you, you actually need to become a different tree. And then some people focus so much on becoming the different tree that they never care about the apples. And this was Jesus' point, uh, changing fruits for a moment in my metaphor, in, in Isaiah chapter 5. Because in Isaiah 5, Jesus, uh, well, Jesus, let me, let me rephrase that. Isaiah's in the Old Testament. So the Holy Spirit speaking uh, as Jesus in Isaiah 5, uh, like he tells this story to the nation of Israel because, uh, because Israel is like this. What's wrong? Why is God mad at us? And here's, what, here's Isaiah. Isaiah says, you want to know why everything's falling apart? I'll tell you why. Because Israel is like a field. God, God took this field and he planted a vineyard. Now, who in the room does gardening? Anybody in the room do gardening? Like you plant, who plants vegetables and eats them later? Who in the room does this? So a few of you do, not many, you're very urban people, right? <laughs> However, those who do that, I mean, it's very clear, right? Like if you, if you buy uh, 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 squash zucchini, if you buy some zucchini seeds, and you put them in the ground uh, in, in, say, May or June, or when it gets warm, August, <laughs> put them in the ground, <laughs> and, then you, and then you, like your goal, I mean, why did you... Why did you do that? Why did you nourish the soil? Why did you till the soil? Why did you water? Why did you buy the seeds? Why did you plant the seeds? There's one reason. You like zucchini and you want millions of them to share with your neighbors because that's what happens with zucchini, right? You go to bed and there are none and you wake up and there are 30 and it just is the way it is. But what would happen, and this is the metaphor, Isaiah 5, Isaiah's complaint is, I planted, and now I'm using zucchini, but it was grapes, but you get the point. Uh, Isaiah says, look, I planted zucchini, and, and what came up, uh, what were something, spinach came up. I don't want spinach, I want zucchini, so what do I have to do? Like, I can't transform the spinach into zucchini, I've got to, what, start over, and I had to replant. That's Isaiah 5, you read it sometime with Cheerios over breakfast. It's a great read. So the point would be, look, to have the right fruit, I need the right seed. That's all. To, to, like if I'm going to have apples, I better be an apple tree. And, and th this is what's at stake when we talk about the heart. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to look at the two challenges. There's a heart challenge And I'll explain what I mean by that. There's a purity challenge. And these challenges beg for a solution. And then at, at the very end, we look at the solution. But this is, the, this is what's at stake. We don't want to be people just changing the outside. 
But we don't want to be people just folks on the inside. We want to see these brought together. To do that, we need to understand the heart challenge, the purity challenge, so that we see a solution. How can we be people with a new heart living in a new way? And so we begin with a heart challenge here. And the, and the fundamental thing that I want to share with you regarding a heart challenge is this. The heart, your physical heart, is actually more than a pump. I don't know if you knew that or not. New Science says this, and I'm quoting now from an article about the heart. What are we talking about when we're talking about the heart? The beginning of the heart challenge is our need to believe that the heart has its own intelligence that's deeper and more profound than the mind. When we were in the womb, our heart was formed before our brain, and it's more than a pump. Recent research, past two decades, has shown that the heart is an information processing center that can learn, remember, and act independently of the brain and actually connect and send signals to the brain uh, before the brain perceives what needs to be perceived. In other words, we often think, well, the eye talks to the brain, then the brain talks to the heart, right? And this is, the thesis here is that, oh, no, there's evidence that your heart brain can receive and respond to stimuli before your cranial brain can respond to it. And for 5,700 for, uh, for 5, years, humanity believed that because we have sayings such as these. Have you ever heard this before? Follow your... I mean, nobody says follow your brain, but we, I mean, we do follow our brain, but for 5,700 years, we, we heard follow your heart. Or a poet wrote, uh, the heart has reasons that the brain knows not of, or something, it's something to that effect, right? In other words, the heart knows more than the brain. And I can just share with you experientially even that this has happened uh, in my own life. My, when my father-in-law died, my wife wakes up one morning and she says, I need to go be with my dad down in California. I need to go see him. I go, why? He just went to the doctor. He's fine. And then the, literally she says, I don't know why. I just know I have to go. Who's had such an experience in the room? Like, you know, like it, it doesn't make sense here rationally. The doctor just checked him out. Everything's okay. But I, I know I need to go. And she goes and then uh, that's when he passed away was when she was down there. Like she knew, and so there was something, her heart was speaking to her in a way that her mind wasn't, right? So, so your heart has this perceptive ability. Now, that's a backdrop, and, and, and then we come to what Jesus has to say about the heart. So we need, like we're called to have this heart that's perceptive and alive and responsive to, you know, God's promptings and that kind of thing. And so Jesus then says, not blessed are the pure in speech, Blessed are the pure in intent. Blessed are the pure in actions. Blessed are the pure of philosophy. No, no, no. Here's Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart. Okay, great. So I need that my heart needs to be like aligned with God in some way. It needs to be pure. And our tendency is not to focus on our hearts. Our tendency as a culture is to focus on outward actions or words or the mind. And when, we, when we're living over here, ethics, mind, words, actions, we become intensely divided people. And we're deeply divided right now. And I would say uh, the church at risk of being deeply divided as happened in Germany, as happened in Rwanda, over ethical issues because we're over here too much arguing about ethics. When, we, we, when this happens, when we're arguing over here, what we really need to do is swing the needle and, and say, no, we got to return to the heart. The heart is the foundation. So this is what we're talking about this morning. And Jesus is always pointing people to the heart. 
Matthew 12, 34 is uh, the first instance of this. Matthew 12, 34. The first one that I talk about anyway this morning. It's where, where Jesus, look, this is what he says. He says, look, make the tree good and the fruit will be good. Or make the tree bad and the fruit will be, fill it in, bad, right? And he's, so he's speaking to the Pharisees, religious leaders. And this is what he says. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil in the heart speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So what Jesus is doing is he's bringing together outward actions and heart. That's, that's what he's doing. So the hard challenge here is we begin to see, oh, my, ultimately, my actions will ultimately be a reflection of, of my heart, right? Now, in Matthew 15, verses 1 and 2, Jesus is continuing this theme because uh, the Pharisees, uh, they, come to, they come to Jesus and they have a, they have a question uh, for him regarding his disciples. And you don't need to turn there. I'll just read. The, the Pharisees, the, and they're religious leaders, and they know they've, out here on the outside, they look very good. They come to Jesus and they say, what? Uh, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands when they eat bread. In other words, uh, what's the focus of these religious leaders? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's the outward actions, right? How come they're not washing their hands properly, right? Uh, and, and, and so why do your disciples eat and break the tradition of the elders? The concern was whether impure hands would defile the eater, right? In other words, by, like they're not, they're not doing it right. They're not doing it right. I remember this friend of mine, uh, when, uh, when his son uh, came to faith in Christ as a six-year-old, uh, he's in the backseat with his older sister who's nine, and my friend is driving the car, he's looking in the rearview mirror at his two kids, and little Kevin, he says, Dad, I want to know Jesus. And so the dad says, well, you just need to pray and ask Jesus to give you a new heart, and then Jesus actually becomes part of you and lives inside you. And so then, little Kevin, they're driving on the 405 in Orange County, right? And little Kevin goes, Jesus, give me a new heart, amen. <laughs> Done. Yeah, his sister, though, she's panicked, and she looks over to him, you didn't do it the right way! You didn't close your eyes. You didn't put your hands together. Like if you're going to pray, this is how you pray. And this, this little vignette is indicative of exactly the problem in evangelical Christianity all the time. You didn't do it the right way because this is what Christians do. Christians sit in rows. Christians dress okay. Uh, you know, Christians have choirs. We come, we sing, we tithe, we take notes. We go home, we're upwardly mobile, we're educated, we own our homes, we pay our taxes, we stay sober, we stay married, done. That's life. No, <laughs> says Jesus, don't start there, start here. You need, you, actually the problem is not your behavior, the problem preeminently and fundamentally and foundationally, the problem is your what? Your heart, <laughs> 
So Jesus says to these Pharisees, look, you guys have a serious problem because he quotes there Isaiah chapter 29 and he says, hear and understand. He says to his disciples, it's not what enters into the mouth that defiles a man, but what proceeds out of a mouth, that's what defiles the man. In other words, ultimately, who you are out here is a reflection of the condition of your what? Your heart. <laughs> that's, Jesus says it. And you can go to great lengths to clean the outside of the cup, as Jesus says in Matthew 25, in his indictment of the Pharisees, and, 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 and prescribe behavior out here. Do you understand what I mean? Hey, you want to be a Christian? Uh, tithe, stay sober, stay married. You know, d- d- here's the things you do. These are, and then, and then if you do these things, that's it. No, 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 no. <laughs> Don't go there. You always have to start with the heart. This is what Jesus is saying. We have a saying, don't we? Have you heard it? Fake it till you make it. Ah, you got trouble in your marriage? Just pretend you love her. All will be well eventually. I don't know. Maybe not. When I I teach uh, preaching, I don't tell people how to move around. I don't tell people to get excited. I don't tell people to snap their fingers and point. I don't tell people to clap. I don't tell people to do any of that stuff because that's what I do, but I'm not trying to make them little versions of me. I don't want them to be little versions of me. They'd be terrible at being me, and I'd be terrible at being them. So I don't want you to imitate me, says Richard, when I teach preaching. What I want you to do is to have heard from God. If God has spoken to you, if God has moved your own heart, then when you stand up to share, you will be effective because you'll be excited about what God has revealed. So I don't care if you, how you move, how, you, how fast you talk, how slow you talk, you will be the best version of you, but it all starts where? Not outwardly with motions and structure and logic. It all starts with the heart, always. And, and the same thing when you teach leadership. I mean, here's the bottom line. When I I talk about leadership, I say to people, oh, you want to lead? Well, here's the principle. Those who are following you will will become like who you are. That's the way it works. And so, I mean, you can read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and you can read Team Advantage by Patrick Lancioni, and you can read The Five Problems of Team, and you can read Good to Great, and you can read Great to Better, and you can read Better to Fantastic, or whatever it is. You can, like, you can, you can go out and you can learn all these things, and yet here's the bottom line. If you're a liar, then your team will lie. <laughs> and, 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 and if you have a short temper, then it, your team will pay the price, and, and they will be, they'll think it's okay, and then they'll have a short temper too. And if you have integrity issues, then they'll have integrity issues. Your team becomes who you are. Why? Because you cannot hide the heart. That's the principle. So, so that, I mean, the heart challenge here is in Isaiah 29, verses 1 through 3, because Isaiah says, regarding the nation of Israel, who are wondering, well, what's going on, man? And I, uh, why is God mad at us? And I, here's what Isaiah says. He says, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Do you get it? They've got the right, someone taught them out here, right words, right doctrine, they defend the virgin birth of Christ, they understand the historical value of the resurrection, they show up on Sundays, they give, they tithe, they do everything, it all looks right, but their heart is wrong. This is a problem. And, and, and when we want to fix the problem, we, all, we run the behavior. And I'm, the scriptures are saying, no, don't run the behavior. Years ago, I was speaking at a thing uh, 
in Calgary. And so I, then I spoke on a Sunday morning at a church at the invitation of the guy who had invited me to Calgary. And before I got into the pulpit, I met the pastor for the very first time. And the pastor actually did not want me to speak, but he had done it as a favor to this guy who invited me. Does that make sense? So, so I'm sitting in the pastor's office, and he's like this. Hey, I'm just here to check you out. Uh, before, Like, I don't want to give my pulpit up if you're not orthodox. So, like, this is just before the sermon. What do you think about the virgin birth? What do you think about the authority of Scripture? You know, what do you think about that? Give me six evidence of the resurrection. I mean, I'm like, it's like a little doctrinal inquisition just before I go up to preach. And then he's like, oh, I guess you're okay. And then I go preach, right? So fast forward to tape, one year, right? I come back, land in Calgary. My buddy picks me up again. I'm going to do this thing. He, and he says, hey, would you preach tomorrow at that church? And I laughed. I said, no way, man. I'm not preaching there ever again. Pastor hates me. Why would I want to do that? That's like torture. He, he, and then he says, oh, no, well, here's a, we had a little problem last week. Well, what was the problem? Well, last week, it was Easter Sunday, the week prior. He said, last week, the pastor got up to preach. Same guy, Mr. Doctrinal Purity. And he gets up to preach, and this is what he does. He stands up. It's sermon time, Easter Sunday. I've been having an affair for two years. I quit, walks out a side door. No one saw him again. Wow. So, so my friend goes, so nobody's speaking this Sunday because we don't have a pastor anymore. Man, do you understand? Why did I share that story with you? Here's why. Doctrine, check. Necktie, check. Big church, check. Building program, check. Church of the Black, check. Loud singing, check. Drums, check. Smoke machines, check. All there. Man, what a great, thriving church. Just one problem, heart. <laughs> and it all comes crashing down. These people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Man, all these problems outwardly cannot be fixed outwardly. They can only be fixed by addressing the heart. Does this make sense? This is why I don't golf. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm really not kidding. I golfed in Friday Harbor once, 1984, <laughs> because I was a new pastor and I thought, yeah, this is what pastors do. I had read it, pastors golf. So I'm gonna go golfing. And hey, Richard, you wanna come golfing? This friend, my friend Steve. And so we're in Friday Harbor. And uh, we go to the driving range, and he explains how if you're off just a tiny bit, right, in your stroke or your swing or whatever, it, the littlest thing, and it, this is so annoying. The, the error multiplies exponentially as the ball goes down the, down the fairway, right? Like I love watching, and I watch in awe just from having done it once, but I, like, I can't do it. Because I got up, and I, so I did the driving range thing. Well, I'm left-handed. So I did the driving range thing. And then, uh, then I, I got out onto the second hole, and after the first hole and having the ball do a little thing to the right, I tr thought I adjusted perfectly, and I did my drive. The ball is going straight, and then it just makes a left turn. The ball <laughs> makes a left turn. And I didn't even know balls could do that, golf balls. It makes a left turn out of bounds, not only out of bounds, but out of the park, and it lands on a road, and there's a car coming, and it lands just in front of the car. The car hits the brakes, and the, car, the guy's mad at me. 
And I thought, this is, what a stupid sport that one little error here, and now the ball is gone, and you, now there's like, it's total humiliation. Do you understand what I mean? And then in the, finally, the last hole, the ninth hole, uh, I chose to use a four iron to get to the green when my friend said, no, that's going to go too far. I said, I'm not good. It'll, it'll, it won't go too far. And then I hit it perfectly. And, it, and the ball on the fly went over the green, over the sand trap, over the pond, into the parking lot, <laughs> landed between cars, and then hit the side like there's a patio where, and Friday Harbor is very local. Everybody knows everybody. So my ball lands in the patio, people out there drinking beers and stuff, and they all stand up, <laughs> and they clap, and I bow, and I say to myself, ne I'm never playing again, never again. <laughs> Why? Because you're off this much, and it, then it's evident to the whole world, and then you have to walk the whole way suffering that humiliation, right? Like you fall skiing, you get up, and it's a new day, whatever, it's no problem. But now this is like... I, like I was living with shame and condemnation for 200 yards. It's unbearable. <laughs> so I digress a little bit, but the point would be you're off a tiny bit and then it shows up. Does this make sense? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. So we need to learn what it means to start with the heart. That's the first thing. Then second, the, the, okay, we're going to start with the heart. Well, here's the problem. The heart, what Jesus says is blessed are the pure in heart. And we don't, you don't need Greek to figure out what he means. Pure here, do you know what it means? It means pure. It means completely undefiled. So, so the problem is that we're told to love God with all our heart. We're told to guard our hearts. We're told to live out from the heart. But the reality is, if I'm going to do that well, what I, the, my heart needs to be pure and and. And the overwhelming testimony of Scripture is my heart is not pure. In Genesis 6, 5, just before God destroys the whole earth with a flood, it says that the thoughts of man's heart is wicked. The thoughts of man's heart are wicked continually. It's a, it's a strong indictment. And then in Jeremiah 17, 9, we're told that our hearts, all of our hearts in the room, are deceitful. And what, that, what, what deceitful means is that I can't assess my own heart accurately. Does this, make, does this make sense? So if you ask me how my heart is, I'll probably say my heart's, I mean, it's not pure, but it's pretty good. Like, I think my heart's okay. But your heart, man, I, like, I've got a list for your heart. Like, I can see, here are your problems. You want to know? I can tell you right now. Here's your, because I see your heart, but I don't see my own. And when I don't see my own heart, then I'm like I'm deceived, right? And, so, and, and, and Jeremiah says that's a condition of every human heart. And uh, Psalm 14 says that there isn't a single heart on the planet that uh, is eagerly desiring to do God's will all the time, right? So the heart falls short of purity. That's God's assessment, and, and there's a challenge here, because if you're listening to this and you're a thoughtful person, you go, wait a minute, I, I don't think I buy that. Uh, I know lots of people with good hearts who don't even know Christ at all. I mean, let's look at Doctors Without Borders, right? I mean, the people are out risking their lives right now to bring healing to poor, to marginalized, to people in the midst of terror. People are doing that. You're telling me their heart, there's something wrong with their heart? Yeah, I'm not telling you that, Jesus is. 
Or what about those who work in the Gates Foundation who are, who are bringing, uh, they're like they're working to end malaria, they're bringing education and, and health initiatives and economic development initiatives to the most poor and vulnerable all around the planet. And by the way, they're not doing it in Jesus' name. You're telling me there's a heart problem there? I'm not saying that. Jesus is somehow saying that, right? And, and, oh, and by the way, uh, let me remind you that there were pastor, pastors who were complicit in the genocide in Rwanda. They invited Tutsis into their building, they blocked the doors, and then they lit the building on fire. While there were witch doctors who, at risk of their lives, were, were sheltering and saving Tutsis. So there are bad people doing good things, and there are quote unquote good people doing bad things. How does this fit into this thing about the heart? And the answer here centers around the notion of purity. This is what we have to see. And the reality of purity here means exactly that. Pure, pure means without any contaminant, without any mixture. In other words, mostly pure is an oxymoron. Do you understand? Because pure is a superlative. You're either pure or you're not. You can't be mostly pure. You're pure or you're, and we don't like to say it, you're pure or you're what? Impure. Those are the only two options. Mostly pure, still impure. Help me understand it. Well, that, this is cancer. Everyone in the room knows somebody touched by cancer. And if, when you have cancer, you go to a doctor. This is what you don't want to hear. We got most of it. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to hear that. We, in fact, well, here's what you really don't want to hear. We got all but one cell. Why? Because the one cell will grow. Really? Yeah, that's sin. Look at Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, one sin. That's Genesis 3. Genesis 4, though, by the time you get to Genesis... Well, at the end of Genesis 3, after, after eating the fruit, then you have uh, sibling uh, murder, right? And then in Genesis 4, you have polygamy for the first time. And then you have violence that's exalted and turned into a song by this guy Lemek. He says, hey, I killed a man for wounding me. And by the way, if you try and exact vengeance on me, then I'm going to kill all your family. I'm going to exact vengeance sevenfold. So violence, uh, hard heart, and retribution, right? Taking vengeance on others. So by the time you get to Genesis chapter 6, one cell, one sin, and it grows. Uh, am I making sense? This, I mean, this is the assessment from the scripture so that, so that when we think, oh, it's, everything's going to be okay, just look at history. All through history, we say, yeah, we want peace. We want generosity. We want to end poverty. We want to end hunger. And there are initiative after initiative. And every war, by the way, is the war to end all wars. And so when we have a 30-year war in Europe, we say, we are so sick of the bloodshed, it will never happen again. Oh, except for, right, the French Revolution and the, the, and the Holocaust and World War II and World War I. And, and oh yeah, they're all the war and, and every war. And then, and then up pops Korea and up pops Vietnam and up pops terror. And we want peace, but there's no peace. And Jesus says, this is the way it is. We cry for peace, we don't know peace. We cry to end poverty, we can't end poverty. We cry to end disease, we can't end disease. What's the problem? Heart problem. There is not a single person whose heart is pure, not one. Psalm 14. 
Romans 3. No, not one. Not me, not you, not the person sitting next to you, none. Why? So we have this disease of, of the heart. Now, now you see the challenge. Oh, okay. So Richard, here's what you're telling me. The heart is really the source from which my life stems, and my heart is messed up. Thanks a lot. I'm leaving. Like, okay, like what's the, okay, help me here. And there's a, there now, this is why there's a beautiful solution. And the solution is exactly what Megan read, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, Israel has cut themselves off from God when you read the book of Ezekiel. And as a result of that, God's glory has departed from Israel. The walls of Jerusalem have been destroyed. The temple has been uh, destroyed. The people have been scattered. A third have died by famine. A third have died by the sword. A third have died by plague. There's a kind of a remnant left. So when I say a third, a third, I'm speaking poetically. There's a few people left, right? And these people are saying... What's the future hold? And this is what Ezekiel says. In Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, I will remove your heart of stone, and instead I'm going to give you a new heart, a heart of flesh. I will give, listen, I will give you a heart responsive to the will of God. You need, what do you need? A new heart. <laughs> Good news. I will give you a new heart. Well, whose heart will you give me? The heart of Christ. Like the resurrected Jesus, listen, alive in you. His heart is now your heart. What does that mean? That means that within you, if you've said yes to Christ, you have within you nothing less than the pure heart of Jesus. Now, you still have issues, and so do I, because our, that heart is housed in our humanity that's still fallen. But God is in the process now of, of letting the heart of Christ reign in your life. That's why this is called a kingdom. So that his heart now begins to take precedence over your old dead heart. That's why uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, look, I, I know you want to talk theology, but I don't care about theology because until you're born again, you will never be able to do it right. You need a new heart. And when you say yes to Christ, that's exactly what you receive, a new heart. And this explains a great a mystery, the mystery of 1 John 3, 9. Because if you read 1 John 3, 9, and you read it like literally in the Greek language, what you read there is that you somehow are not even able to sin. Uh, listen, listen to this as I, as I read. It says here, no one who's born of God practices sin. Yeah, okay, we get that. We don't practice sin. Because his seed, Christ's seed, abides in you. You have a new heart. But then, John strengthens it. Not only do you not practice sin, this is what it says, and you cannot sin because you're born of God. Well, cannot sin? What do you mean cannot sin? Same book says if you say you have no sin, you make God a liar. So now you're saying I cannot sin? In what sense can I cannot sin? Well, you can't. here's how you cannot sin. You have a new heart. Whose heart do you have? Christ's heart. Can Christ sin? No. He's triumphed over evil. Like, you will never sin when you're walking in the Spirit. You won't. Ever. So what do you need to do? You need to learn to live out from the heart of who, who Christ is in you so that now you become this unique expression of Jesus. There's two things going on in the Bible. There's a new kingdom, but there's also a call to a new heart. Now, what I, what I hope you see this morning, these aren't two things. 
These are one thing. And we're, we're terrified right now about our kingdom over here. Will we be divided because of politics? And, and how we sort out ethics? And what happens if we disagree on certain issues? And you know, how we all get along? And I'm just saying as your pastor, we can have robust dialogue over here, but it will, it will only divide us if we refuse to address the heart. <laughs> and so what's needed more than anything, anything, is to learn to live out from the heart that is Christ. We need new hearts. And some of you in the room need a brand new heart because you've never said yes to Christ and asked for that new heart. Some of you have never done it. You've got all the form right. You're here, but you've never, you've never asked for a new heart. You need a new heart. And most of us in the room, we already have a new heart, but we have to learn to live out from that new heart. And so this is a time of response this morning, and it, and it goes like this. We, there's a card you got in your bulletin, and I want to show you how I'd like you to respond to it. If you can pull up that slide. You know that one <laughs> that we talked about? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. In your bulletin, it says this, I want to see, and this is what I'd like you to write, I want to see my new heart in Christ bring, and then you name the transformation still needed. Because you see, many of, all of us in the room, out here, on the, on the presenting side of things, publicly, the outside of the cup, we all are, we, every one of us have issues. Some of us need joy because we're racked with sorrow. Some of us need peace because we're racked with anxiety. Some of us need sexual purity because we're racked with lust. Some of us need generosity. Some of us, some of us need to become people of hope because we're filled with cynicism. Whatever, I mean, whatever it is. So, so you write it this way. I want to see my new heart in Christ, bring joy where there's now sorrow. And then uh, you bring them up here, you put in these little, bo there's boxes up here, way to respond. Some of these then we're sending uh, to Central America because we have, a, we have a mission team going down to Central America to vet a, new, a potential new partnership for Bethany uh, where we want to invest in a community down there. And we want to share with them so that they can pray with us and they will share with us so that we can pray with them. And the rest of them we'll put up on the, on, the, on the windows, as you saw. We're trying to populate those windows with understanding of what it means to be part of God's kingdom. But all of us are in need. Even we who have had this, trend, this heart transformation, we need that, that new heart now to reign in our lives so that the outward part of the cup looks like the new heart that God has given us. So if you respond, bring them forward while we sing and pray for one another and pray that the community of Christ would, would display nothing less than the heart of Christ in increasing measure, and then great adventure awaits us. Father, meet us now as we respond. We're so grateful for a new heart because our old heart, not, not good. Our new heart in Christ, Father, uh, hope, mercy, peace. Would that become our experience in reality as we live into that new heart that you've given us? We pray in Christ's name, amen. Bring these forward as you write them down, and uh, we will worship together.